Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Mark Tonderay, a writer and director whose credits include the feature films Hush and The House at the End of the Street, and episodes of Doctor Who, Castle Rock, Twelve Monkeys, Gotham, and Black Lightning, among others. His latest feature, Spell, stars Omari Hardwick as a big city lawyer who finds himself trapped in a remote cabin after a plane crash, and that's not his biggest problem. It's available on demand this Friday, October 30th, from Paramount Pictures. Mark picked The Straight Story, the most radical film of David Lynch's career. I mean, Disney released it, with a G rating. It's the true story of Alvin Strait, who in 1994 drove 240 miles from Iowa to Wisconsin to visit his ailing brother, and he did it on a riding mower. Richard Farnsworth plays Alvin in an Oscar-nominated performance, and Lynch builds a beautiful world around him, filling the screen with all the kindness and optimism that never seems to make it into his other films. If you've seen it, I don't need to describe it to you. And if you haven't seen it, you should. This is someone else's movie. This is going to, I don't mean to sound contentious, but uh, so when I got this, I call it an assignment. Sure, sure. A film that I love that I wish I'd made. And, 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 and I start to go through lists, list them. I start to write a whole lot of lists, right? Charlie Varick, you know, The Wild Bunch, Thunderbolt Light for Bridge Over Ridge Quiet, River Quiet, Platoon, Black Sunday, Some Luck at Hot, Wild Bunch, North by Northwest, Dublin Indemnity, All About Eve, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Arlington Road, Kramer vs. Kramer, The Dumb Waiter, The Magnificent Main, and The Flying Machines. And then as I wrote the list, I suddenly had a problem with the list. It was a big problem. Obviously, I'm a person of colour. Mm. And, you know, all my life has been refracted through that prism. Uh, be it be it my choice or not, and so being black is who I am, and it's impacted my life in the same way as say being a woman might be, and it's it's what I lead with, right? It's what other people lead with me. But none of those films feature black people, right? None of yeah. those. Yeah, I noticed. And, and but they're all films that that I love, and they're all films that I wish I had made, and um, and I love them. And so I had to really I had to really put down the pen, and I thought about this, and I was like, you know, the problem with modern film you know, has been the absence of people like me on screen, right? It's an imbalance that's slowly been readdressed. But as a child, I didn't see me on screen, right? right I didn't right. see stories about people like me on screen until I saw, you know, Donna Summer in The Last Dance or Diana Ross in The Wiz. So in good conscience, how could I make a list of films um, that ignored my story? And how could I choose films that once I place them in the historical context, bumps against the civil rights movement of the black experience? I sure. mean, Take, for example, The Magnificent Men and Their Flying Machines. It was one of the first ones my father took, to see, took me to see, and I loved it, right? It was made in 1965. The Fair Housing Act only came into effect in 1968. Do you see my point? Hey, hey. So, so for me, you know, cinematic art was exclusive for white people. So how can I choose a list? How can I choose a film right, without looking like I advocate this, this exclusivity? You know, because choice has been denied me and it's limited. So why choose, right? So that's the dilemma I had when, 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 I, when, I, when I found out that I was going to be talking to you. And in a strange way, there's an argument to be made that I don't have to pick a film, right? The argument, the discussion starts now, right? Sure. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And so I was like, oh, okay, right. Now I really have to think about this. So you've given me a lot of food for thought with, with, this, with, this, uh, with this little assignment. So I thought, <laughs> okay, then what I'll do is then I'll feature films of people of color. So I did. The Grand Voyage, and Prophet, The Heart of the Come, Boys in the Hood, Glory, Pulp Fiction, The Defiant Ones, and, right. and, and it, all of those sorts of films. But that didn't feel right either, right? Because I was ignoring films that maybe didn't fit my criteria, 
but I couldn't deny them because they're a part of the canvas of my life, right? So I can't deny the videos of them in their flying machine because you know, like it or not, it's a part of my life and it's a part of kind of who I am. So it felt to me like I was almost practicing a reverse form of bias. So then I came to this answer and this is why, this is what I'm going with. I had to put aside, put aside that, that sort of problem with the film and look at, and look at, look at films that I wish I had made because they transcend everything. They're all about emotion, right? Because no matter who we are, right? Black, white, green, pink, purple, blue, whatever. We all feel the same things. We all feel the same things. The commonality amongst us is emotion with love being the most powerful one. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what culture we are or where we're from even, we all feel. And so that's what I started to focus on. I started to focus on movies that moved me because they were universal. And that's why I chose Lynch's The Straight Story. It's, it's odd because when you, when you picked it, I did, or when I was told that you picked it, I thought, oh, that's, that's a really white movie. And, and it is. It's, it's, and, and having just seen your film Spell, which is a really black movie, I mean, it's about um, a specific type of black experience, you know, expanded and, and, and exaggerated into the supernatural, into, into a horror film, which it resonates in the same way that there's, there are elements of Get Out in there where a simple social disparity is exaggerated into horror because the awkwardness is rooted in something that's malevolent and right. spell is right. sort of a there's there's a class argument playing out in that film in as much right, right as anything else and I'm, and I'm not going to get into the specifics and spoil it for people but the straight story is you know the title is a pun but it's also a, a genuine representation of that story it is exactly what it appears to be there's no metaphor right. there's no context it's simply a straight line yeah. uh of one thing to the next yeah. and and it is yeah it is absolutely um david lynch embracing his very very middle american heritage you know he was his, his biography famously for mulholland drive I, I did the press junket for that and the this is in the days of printed press packets where you would get, you know, 40, 50 typewritten pages of the star bios and everything in the, in the plot. And the only information for David Lynch was simply a blank. It, the page was otherwise blank, but it had his name and centered in it in the middle in type was Eagle Scout, Missoula, Montana. <laughs> and he he's, it's a joke, but it's also not a joke, right? Because he really does present himself. The more rewatching the film, this week, just just to get ready for this, I realized Richard Farnsworth is playing the David Lynch that we all know now from the public appearances and you know, like that pronunciation and that that diction that the way he carries himself and the way he hits certain vowels and harder sounds. That's the guy I see telling me not yeah. to watch movies on an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 staggering, you know. And and I've got to be clear, you know. I mean, literally, the next line I write here is, let's be clear, this story's got only one black person in it, and it's the weatherman on the TV at the yep. one hour 37 mark, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It, 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 it fits the ignoring of my cultural viewpoint that I despise totally. But like I said, it's one of the cornerstones uh, in my filmmaking canvas, right? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I can't, yeah. you know, I'm half, I'm half white, you know, and I'm half black, right? So... For me, that dichotomy between between this between these two worlds is some is a place that I live very 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 I embrace living there. So for me to deny it is just as bad as to not deny it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you know, for me, like I said, you know, I could have chosen a, I could have chosen a huge I could have chosen so many different films, and and every week I could probably choose, if you asked the same question I would choose a different film just based on just based on where I am emotionally in that week. But for me, 
you know, this film and its themes, in particular its themes, you know, really, really resonate for me. And I'm a big, big theme guy. It's all about theme, what the film is trying to say. And like I said, you know, I can't, you know, I can't excuse its 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 whitewashing of of of, of my culture. But I can say this that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you're gonna be moved by this film, you know. And uh, you know, in some way, in some in some ways, because I think, I think. Well, let me first help uh, in case people don't know what the film's about. It's about a it's about a 73 year old guy called Alvin Strait who learns that his brother Lyle has had a stroke, and he can't drive, so he goes from Iowa to Mount Zion on a lawnmower and that's really what the film's about it's that it's that simple and but really it's about a man who wants to see his brother again so they can look at the stars together you know and even when you put it in that context it's 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 something special and it, it hinges on the fact that it never ever sways a sentimentality and it could easily have done it could easily have done it never does and i and I, I can't quite figure out why that is but i think i've got a suspicion but i think it hinges around those two points that you just alluded to david lynch and richard farnsworth right i think i think I think Lynch, uh, Lynch's choices and the performance, which is one of the best performances I've seen, you know, um, is, is, is in fact, everybody's performances, even the day players, you know, yeah. uh, Harry, Harry Dean Stanton has, I think, eight words, you know, <laughs> Evan McGill is in it, James Cat, James Cat is in it, the Farley brothers are in it, the Farley brothers are in it, and of course the great Wiley Harker's in it, right, I, who I think steals the movie in just one scene, right, you know, so you've got these, you've got these, you've got these incredible sort of, you've got these incredible sort of, um, performances that kind of lynch this that sort of linchpin this film yeah. together and then you know and then and like i said why do i choose it this week you know i'm i operate camera and so i operate camera and i think the reason why i operate camera is because you can really feel the actor's performance because you're dancing with them and you're attuned to their performance so it's happening in real time through the eyes uh, through the eyepiece not through a monitor 20 meters away right you can see their choices because you're with them at inception of those choices, right? You're there at the birth of them, right? And and this is for me is the key. For me, performance is all what it's about to me. You know, it's all about performance. And and so when I look at that performance, and let's you know, let's talk about Richard Farnsworth, right? Yeah. You know, for me, I look at that character, and as a writer, I write about characters that are broken. And there's a character that is broken quite literally. I mean, that first shot, which is very kind of almost almost a sort of a simile of the shot in Blue Velvet, instead of you know coming into the lawn and finding a finger, we come down and we see a woman sunbathing, and then the camera cranes forward, and then it goes to a window, and then we just hear a body fall, you know, yeah. and then that's how we meet Alvin for the first time, right? And you know, and he's he's breaking down, he's breaking down. He's not just a broken man; he's breaking down. You know, he needs a hip replacement. He's a stubborn as a mule and doesn't want one. And then we meet his, his daughter Rosie, you know, played by Sissy Spacek, and she she and again, you know. She plays a character that, for me, sees and interprets the world differently to you and me. And I refuse to, leave, to, to lose the word intellectual disability because I just don't see people like that. Like that, you know. For me, people that interact with the world differently because uh, interact with the world differently because they were born that way, they perceive the world in a beauty and a purity and a frequency that you and I can never see. And that's special to me, right? So that's not okay. that's not that's not a disability. And that's the word that I prefer to use, special. And that's what Rosie is. And and you realize that she's this heart that Alvin sort of rotates around. And and you know, and like I said, he, you know, Lynch never patronizes her and 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 it never gets sentimental. And it could easily have done both, you know. And of course, in today's in today's culture now, Rosie would be played by someone who was special. They, they wouldn't they wouldn't have gotten they wouldn't have got an able-bodied actor to play her. But everything about her, that you know, the backstory that she has. 
And you know, there's, there's there's no denying that honesty and humility and respect they sort of they sort of afford that character. You know, uh, you know. But back to Farnsworth, this kind of face that's kind of etched with age lines that kind of like look like the dried up riverbeds. You know, it's 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 just it's his eyes. They have this kind of they have this, this this broken, sad quality, like they're holding back so much pain. Because that's the point. It's so much more painful seeing someone trying not to cry than seeing someone weeping. Yeah. And every scene he's in, every scene he's in, it's so measured. And great acting is all about listening for me and using the gaps between the words. Sometimes not using words at all. And you can watch this movie with the sound off and you'd understand what was going on, you know? And and for me, you know, there's a wonderful scene where he talks about how he was a sniper, which is probably the most dishonorable job really to have in the military, you know, because it always feels like a sitting duck kind of job. And, you know, he tells a story about how he shot a target and turned out to be one of his own men, but he never told anybody. And you can see that that secret is just consumed him. And it's a burden that he carries every, every day. And it's one of the saddest, saddest scenes I've ever seen on celluloid. But for me, I look at a scene like that and I look at a characterization beat like that and I go, okay, sense of regret over a past sin and not being able to feel absolution or even think you deserve absolution. Jesus, how many of us feel that way? Do you know what I mean? And this is what I mean about the sort of universality of the film. You know, that is such a powerful, powerful, powerful idea. And such a such an idea that I personally, you know, as a man who has fucked up hugely, you know, in his life and, and maybe will never be able to get some sort of forgiveness for the things that I've done. I really relate to that. You know, it doesn't matter what color I am. You know, it doesn't matter that this is a white story about, you know, an aging cowboy. You know, and, and when he says, the more years I, the more years I have, the more they have lost. You know, I'm, I'm I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking, this is poetry. This is poetry, and 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 this idea that men of war don't talk about war unless they're talking to other men of war, it's just brilliant. You know, yeah. it's just so brilliant. And these two men in that bar, who probably never speak, they're strangers, but the way they're talking and the way they're cutting open their heart and sharing this heart, their hearts with each other, is ju- it's just it's just for me what this is all about. You know, I believe my job every day is to somehow go in there and to try. I get very emotional about this sort of stuff. So if I get emotional, you must excuse me. But I, but I feel I feel, I feel, feel very strongly that our job is to go out there and our job is to capture the truth. That's what my job is, is to try and capture the truth. And I don't call actors actors, I call them truth tellers. And that's all my job is. And the truth is like a sun and we try and touch it. And because we're all trying to touch this, this orbit of the sun, we're in this orbit of the sun, something happens on the set where we kind of connect in ways that we, we didn't we didn't have. You make friends on set that you would never make ordinarily because we're suddenly in this kind of, in this under this veil of truth and we're all trying to find it. And for me, whenever I see films that feel like the truth and that they feel so pure like that, that I just know there is no, this doesn't even feel like a performance. Then for me, I'm going, wow, this is, this is kind of something else now, you know, this is, this is, we're in a different territory here. And we're in the hands of a master storyteller, you know, because that's what these guys, this is what these guys are, they, they're masterful storytellers. And so I'll keep quiet now because I realize I've been talking a lot. No, 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 it's fine. This, this is your episode. You can have as much time as you want. It, it does strike me, the, the, the conversation you're describing, the scene in the bar between basically two veterans, one of whom we've been spending the entire film with and another who we'll never see again. It made me wonder this time if this is what happens every time he meets a veteran, if he's constantly unburdening himself and he can never get it out, or if this is the first time he's disclosed it because this is so clearly his last trip. 
Like he's yeah. constantly telling people, I want to do this myself. I have to do this my own way. He's, he's always politely refusing offers of help, which is really, I think, unique in Lynch's filmography that, yeah. that there is that much compassion and empathy in every direction. This, this is a film, as you say, it's about love. It, it's about everyone being willing to stop whatever they're doing and, and just listen to someone else's story over and over and over again. And Alvin is our focal character. He hears a lot of stories, but yeah, he's always revealing something about himself when he does. And the sense throughout that, you know, this is a road movie and the journey is the destination and all of that stuff. Like all of the, all of the usual cliches can apply, but there's just something about the way that Lynch executes them so wholeheartedly. There's no yeah. na- there's no naivete, there's no there's no affectation. And nobody saw this coming. This is three years after Lost Highway. Just, That's what I mean. That's he what I mean. Showed up with this film and told no, the story no one, about no one, people. No one, no one, no one, no one, you know, and that's, you know, for me, you know, you, what you've just said there is, you know, and let's just talk about that for a sec, Lynch's Lin, uh, Lin, uh, direction, you know, sure. the film is slow, right? But that's not a, that's not a criticism for me, right? No, I'm, no. I, 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 I like that. Like Alvin, it kind of mimics, it mimics his pace, you know? Like, like you just said, you know, two, two, two years, actually, I think it was two or three, just made Lost Highway. But, mm-hmm. but, but it does, it does follow a very classic sort of quest story. I mean, it's Jason and the Argonauts, right? You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's a character going on a journey and he meets different, different people sure. and you can, you know, you can sort of let, label them out. Um, but all these people that he meets and all the obstacles he meets extrapolate a different theme, right? So for me, you look at those themes, fragility of age, the, inevi- the, in- the inevitability of endings, right? The power of love uh, and belief and the death of the modern American cowboy, yep. you know, uh, the burden of guilt. And, you know, he has to take the journey and he has to, he has to rescind or help because the journey involves suffering and he must suffer if he wants absolution, right? Do you know what I mean? And so, you know, in, in, in its own ways, it's, 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 almost, it's almost incredibly Catholic, you know, it's, it's very sort of, it's very, it's very much like that. But, it, but for me, it never stops being a Lynch film, right? You know, the sparkles of humor, you know, the woman at the beginning, you know, who says, you know, what's the number for 911? You know, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's just a great moment. And, and, and there's a lovely moment in the film where we're on, we're on the lawnmower and we sort of pan up and we yes, pan up yeah. off, the, off, the, off the white lines and we go into the sky and we hold and we hold. And it's usually a transition and we come down again and the lawnmowers move like 20 feet, right? Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just, <laughs> It's just, it's just a brilliant, and, and then you tie that with Angelo Bandamenti's uh, score, right? You know, which again, never becomes secrecy. It never becomes sacrosanct. It's, it's, it's always a beautiful score, but it never becomes, you know, mopey or, you know, you know, like some of these scores do. But, no, it's very but, patient, isn't it? It just yeah. sort of, it follows yeah. the pace of yeah. the lawnmower. It just yeah. glides alongside. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you know, here's my thing. I mean, we'll go, I mean, let me just make this last point. This last point, but about the Lynchians in it, and it's of course, you know, the deer woman. The deer woman hits the deer, and then Alvin cooks it. And when he looks up, he's surrounded by loads of deers, right? And yeah. they're all staring at him. I mean, that's such a Lynchian moment, right? You know what I mean? This kind of surreal moment of these deers, right? And he's kind of eating, eating this thing. It's great, you know. The small things are big things, right? And the film marinates and. You know, I feel Alvin as his bones creak when he gets off the lawnmower to get his hat. You know, and that busted gear moment where the lawnmower must be going about thirty miles per hour. It feels like Judah Ben Hur trying to control his chariots. It's that. It's that kind of. It's that kind of energetic. And and so for me, I look at this film, and when I think about Lynch, and when I think about you know me, and when I think about 
what I what what I do is 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 this is you know when you direct you're under siege right all the time all the time and you're under siege the most the person that you're under siege the most by is yourself right you know that's the person you're under siege the most by you know, have I made the right choice? Have I done this? Have I done this? Blah, blah. And you beat yourself up hugely. And, you know, when you, when you, when you meet a director that, like this, who's, who's doing these films, is known for making sort of films, who suddenly goes, you know what? Here's a story I want to fucking tell, right? And here's why I want to tell it. You know, I admire that so much, right? Because so many directors are full of shit. They get this opportunity and, you know, they'll go and make, they'll go and make a piece of shit, right? You know, instead of going, okay, I've got this power now. I can go and make those difficult films. That's why I really respect Ronaldo DiCaprio. A lot of those films wouldn't get made if it wasn't for him, you know? It's like, yeah. storytellers like that, I really respect, you know? They don't sort of go off and go and make a fucking, you know, fucking you know, cats or some shit. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, yeah. they, go out there and they go out there and they find these really difficult stories that no one else will make and they get, and they make them, you know? George Clooney does it, you know? Yeah. And, and so for me, when I look at, when I look at, when I look at Lynch and I look at, you know, all the decisions that he made in this film at the time that he made them and the point in his career that he made them, you know, uh, I look at it and I just go, and I, and I go, Christ, I've made those decisions. I don't know if I would. It's like me now after making spells, someone's saying to me, Hey, we've got a dog movie for you. Do you want to make it? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's literally, it's literally, it's literally as kind of like, it's literally as left, as left turn as that. Do you know what I mean? And me going, yeah, you know, like I really admire George Miller, you know. I mean, George Miller does it, right? George Miller fucking made Babe, and then he goes and makes, you know, Happy Feet, and then he goes and makes arguably a, a, a reboot of Mad Max that's probably better than his original one, you know. It's like, you know, I mean, you're sort of going, you're sort of going, you know, this is, you know, I just sort of sit there and I'm just, I'm just kind of in awe at, at these people's strength, you know, because it's so hard to do that. The rest of the world is telling you, hey, you're good at this. That's what you gotta do. You gotta do this next, you know. These guys are going, you know what? Thanks a lot, but you know what? This is the story that I really want to tell. And it's a really important story because of this, this, this. And so, you know, I, you know, really, if I'm being honest with you, you know, my my mentor is is one of my mentors anyway, is a playwright called Trevor Griffith. And he he always he taught me one thing, he taught me lots of things. One of the things he taught me, he says, as an artist, you should always go places that you're scared of going. And that's what Lynch did. And you know, for me, that's yeah. why uh, that's why that's why that's why I, I I kind of admire it. Well, I wish I made it. <laughs> I would have made it with an all black cast, though. Yeah, in America, I don't know that a black man on a riding mower would make it to his destination. No, he would have been shot in that world. Right. Yeah, or he'd just yeah. be constantly getting pulled over if nothing else. Yeah. Um, it's a completely different film with a black cast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but this does actually bring up in relation to your own development as a filmmaker, when did you first see it? Did you see it in 99? Had you already made movies when this, when you caught up? No, yeah, it? I saw, I saw, I saw it soon after. I saw it, I saw it, uh, I didn't see it when it came out in theaters. I saw it, I saw it, I saw it round about then, 1999. Mm. And, and, and I know, I know I saw it in a, in a, in sort of kind of, um, I think Pop Fiction came out then at the same time. And there was all these kind of, um, uh, there were all these kind of like very, I call them hard cut films, you know, like Amores Pores and all this sort of stuff that I was really okay. kind of watching, you know, and City of God. And it was all of that kind of era, you know, I was, I was really kind of into those sorts of films and La Haine and stuff like that. And I was really kind of eating up a lot of those sorts of films. And they were really kind of like keying into my anger, you know, how I, how I felt, you know, at the, at the world, which is an anger that I've never really lost. But, but, but this film, when it came out, I remember being so disarmed by it because, because it was Lynch, right? And this, this was a guy that, you know, you know, like I said, you know, I know, I know all these fucking films, right? And you know, he's making this, yeah. you know, um, and it just, you know, like I said, I just remember going, 
Jesus, is this guy crazy or, or, is, or is he insane? And then, then when you look at it and you go, Jesus, this is, you know, this is kind of one of those films that's really sort of been put together really well, you know? Wow, you know? Uh, I'd love to know what he, you know, I read, I read an article online when I was researching this and someone was talking about all the, how they love David Lynch and they didn't mention this film. And I thought, you're not really a David Lynch fan if you don't mention this film, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you got for the obvious ones, Razorhead, blah, 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 Twin Peaks, blah, blah. You got for the obvious ones, but, you know, this is probably his most naturalistic and probably personal film that, you know, that he's made, right? You know what I mean, you know? I think so. I mean, there's this and The Elephant Man. Those are the two true Elephant stories, Man, yeah. right? Yeah. And there yeah. are, The Elephant Man is incredibly impressionistic and surreal and, and you know, heaving with black and white sweat and ducts and noise and steam. <laughs> Uh, because that's the world he wants to show us. The Victorian, you know, just right in the middle of the Industrial Revolution and everything's changing and there's this freak in the center of it all, the, the way the characters perceive him. And here, the there is no freak, but the centerpiece of the film is still an oddity, right? That Alvin right. Strait is as strange to the people who meet him as John Merrick was to the people who met him. Right. And I thought, like, that's the commonality for me into the film for Lynch is he has to see someone in the center as incomprehensible and so right. we have to spend the whole movie comprehending that person and right that's i right. think that's the device of the script of the slow revelations of the trickle of information that comes out of alvin that by the time he gets where he's going and you know it's not a sure thing that he'll make it there he right. turns back almost immediately in the first run which i think is such right. a great little touch right. um, by the time he gets there we know who he is inside and out and it's just it's so heartbreaking to to watch nothing happen. That I mean, right. it's not in a bad way. It's that he simply gets there and they sit down, and that's it. What else is there? That's it. And 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 he just says, "You came in that, yeah." And all the way it's you wrote in such that. a great little moment. And that's it. And you see, it. and again, in Harry Dean Stanton's eyes, you just see it all. You just see it all, right? It's, yeah. just, it's just a close up of his face and his eyes, and you know, and that's it. And and then he's sort of like. And then Farnsworth just kind of says, yeah. And again, he looks almost embarrassed. He doesn't look proud or like, yeah, I can't see you in that. It's like, he, he looks almost ashamed, you know? It's just, it's just, it's just one of those things. It's, and like I said, you know, you know, I really, honestly, you know, when I, when, I, when I found out that I was doing this, you know, I really, really had to think about it. You know, like I said, I, I told you at the beginning, you know, there's part of me that didn't want to choose a film because, you know, there's part of me that goes right now, let's talk about it now, right? The discussion starts now yeah. because, this isn't, this has got nothing, you know, this has got nothing to do with, with me in terms of like, you know, in terms of, you know, being blackness, but, it, but it's, but it's got, because it's got something more powerful than that. It's got something to do with me as a human being, you know? Yeah. And that's absolutely. why it's powerful. That's why it's powerful. You know, it's what Ebert said. I always come back to this at least once every three or four weeks. Uh, it's the empathy machine that if you can create a work that puts you in someone else's world or makes you feel someone else's feelings, there's no other art form that can do it in the same way as film. And yeah. here I think it is, it's the pacing, it's the structure, it's all the things that should be familiar and then just aren't a little bit. He just yeah. puts it off by five or 10 degrees to a place where yeah. we really don't know what's going to happen next, even though there's nowhere else this story can go. It's, it's just, yeah. it's remarkable. And um, yeah. And Farnsworth who, I mean, in Canada, the guy's a legend because he starred in the gray Fox, which is one of the most successful Canadian films ever made in, I think, 1982, he played a train robber and another, another true story actually. And so even though he's not Canadian, he's world famous in Canada because he made the movie here when no one else was making movies here. And so that was celebrated in a different way here. But I remember going and seeing it and thinking, oh yeah, he's the, you know, he was a former stuntman. 
he was yeah. before he was an actor and then he somehow eased into this incredible screen presence that he has and you see him and in the first three minutes he's vulnerable and he stays on the floor for that entire scene yeah. and there's just there's no vanity to, no. to the character or to Farnsworth and I think that's the key that he is so vulnerable and so human and broken right. before the movie even right. starts right that right we have to right. be on his side Right. There's no, there's no, there's no artifice there. You know, it's like, you know, you know, I really truly believe that he slept in the back of that fan. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's at the back of that, uh, that lawnmower. You know, you, you, there was, there's no, there's even the makeup. I mean, it doesn't feel like he's even got makeup on. It just feels like, you know, it just, it feels like, it feels like the last, the last, the last rodeo. And, uh, you know, I don't care anymore. You know, it's, I, I don't, I don't care about this world, the trappers of this world. All I know is that I need to do the right thing. You know, this, I've got to do the right thing. And it's, it's a really, you know, it's it, it's really, you know, one of the things that one of the things that I fight a lot about in in, in the field that I'm in at the moment is, you know, at the moment the moment they're trying to hire us, they'll always try and hire an ethnic choice, right? You know what I mean? And and I'm sort of like, that's that's great, you're doing that, but you know what? You know, why aren't you hiring us to be your pilot directors? Do you know what I mean? You're still hiring white guys to do pilots, but you know, oh, I see, so, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and so and so and at the same and also also you know. I get offered black stuff and I sort of go, you know, I'm a filmmaker, right? Do you know what I mean? I should be able to do everything. I should be able to do anything I want, right? If I want to tell a story about an alien, I should be able to tell a story about an alien. I shouldn't just be having to tell a story about, you know, about black, about black, about black, black people. So it's, 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 a, it's a, for me, it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting sort of like place to be where I'm sort of at one hand, you know, demanding sort of like, you know, demanding that, that I, that I could be seen as a, as a, as a filmmaker, but at the same time saying, well, the history of film, is 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 has been skewed against me. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, how do we how do I marry those two things together? And and I don't quite know what I'm saying, but I but I but I'm sort of saying, you know, it's for me, it's 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 almost a cliche if I'd come in here with boys in the hood, right? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so, you, I know, get that. you know what but, I mean. But but this is to your point. This is where you get to start to correct the balance, right? You can create the opportunities. You can you can make uh, a movie like Spell where it's entirely uh, am I remembering correctly? There's one white character early on in the film. There's one, right? there's one white character, and you know, again, I could talk to you about each scene. And the one, the one white character is a lawyer, and mm -hmm. that scene is a very, very important scene because it sets up, it sets up Mark's, Mark's um, ambivalence towards other black people, right? Which is kind of what happens a lot, I think, with successful black males. Um, you know, they start to they start to look at themselves above sort of other black people. So that's the first thing it does. The second thing it does, it establishes his love of money and how money is his god. And the third thing it does is is for me establish the the the, the place that white corporate America and the view that white corporate America has about black men. So he, the, the, his 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 boss or the guy who's hiring him uses the word gladiator, and it's a very specific term that that yeah. that, that I chose because that's what they do. When I watch the Super Bowl and I see you know, I see a team of mainly black athletes win the Super Bowl and they give the cup to the chairman first. I think, well, that's plantation. That's And then the chairman gives it to his kids and then they give it to the players. I think, I sit and I go, are you fucking kidding me? Right? So for me, you know, you know, white America has no problem using us as blood force trauma instruments, you know? So for me, that scene is really, really important. And and Mark has no problem taking their money, right? It's all about the money, says Kaching Ching, right? Do you know what I mean? 
So, so that's his argument, and that's his belief at the beginning of the film. That's what he feels, and that's 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 the dramatic argument we're setting up at the beginning of the film. Yeah, this guy in this world, what he believes. So, yeah, there is one, there is one white guy in it, and actually, if I'm honest with you, he's probably the most villainous out of all of them, right? You know, really, do you know what I mean? So, you know, we just he's only in one scene, but he he's the one that he's the one that I think is the real true fucking villain here. But, 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 yeah, you know. Um, but everybody else in it is black, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and I think having one white character rather than none is actually more of a statement because you are forcing the lens onto the black cast. Like we're, we're much yeah. more aware of that disparity because there is a single white presence, even if he's the villain or the, you know, he's never seen again, but yeah. that's just enough to show us what kind of world this film is going to show us. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And so for me, you know, for me, again, it was like, okay, so I set up this world, I set up this character, and now I want to set up a counterpoint to that world and to that character, but I don't want it to be a twelve, a, you know, a twelve, a twelve, a twelve, a, 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 sorry, a, a mustache twirling villain, right? right? And at the same time, I don't want to be disrespectful to this world because you know I'm from Africa and my mum believes in my mum believed before she passed away. She believed in juju, so you know we have things called nangas, which are witch doctors. So you know this world, it's not the same as hoodoo, but it's the same, it's the same belief system. So for me. You know, stepping into this world and and knowing that people believe in this was really was again was quite was quite important to me, um, uh, and so in a strange way, I wanted to set up this this dichotomy that actually, what she believes in this is the central villain, <laughs> naturalism. Uh, you know, um, she's anti anti social media. Uh, I am. I'm not. I don't have Twitter, fucking Facebook. I don't mean that shit. Um, she's anti all those things. You know, she's about community. You know, she's about she's about natural products. You know, she's she's about she's she's not about money. You know, she's about all these sorts of things. And then you got to counter that, you got a guy who's the complete opposite of that. You know what I mean? So you sort of a lot of the time you're questioning. You know, you know, I won't say the line because people, you know, your 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 um your listeners and your viewers and your audience uh, are going to hopefully see the film. But there's that lovely line about our former president. You know, I think you know the line that I mean. You know, yeah, yeah. and that was a really important line to me. You know, um, because at that point, you suddenly realize, you know what I mean? You suddenly go, oh, I understand now the motivation now of this character. I don't agree with their choices. That's very important. But I understand where they're coming from. I understand their motivation. I understand who she is. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to make a film that was, you know, the, 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 the urban guy is, is the smart guy and, you know, and he's cultured and this and this and this and 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 the and the the people from from the country are stupid. You know what I mean? You know, and that's why that mother the mother says that line about you know, you know, actually the N word isn't as bad as what you're saying or what you're thinking about about these people. You know what I mean? You know. Yeah. So I felt I thought that was imp that was important because we do you know in the black community we do have issues of colorization and we do have issues of kind of like uptown and downtown and house and fields and all these different sort of things that we have. You know, that are, that are all there. You know. Yeah. And I mean, it's sort of, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's a, a link into the straight story through, because the final question on the podcast is always, is there something of this film that you've used in your own work? And I think you've just hit it, which is the sense of not misinterpreting, but seeing someone and thinking you know who they are. And really right. the whole point of the straight story and quite a bit of spell is about not realizing who right. people are and, and the, the yeah. importance of actually looking closer. Right, right, looking closer and also sort of like, you know, putting yourself in their shoes, right? You know, which is yeah. probably, you know, it's the line from Atticus Finch, isn't it? You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a really important thing to do. And of course, the, the, pro the, the problem that our character has is that to put himself in, his, in her shoes means believing. It's put, to, to, to believe means he can defeat the monster, but 
But once, but once you've entered that world, you know, once you've touched darkness, how much does it leave on you? And that's kind of what the decision that he has to sort of make, you know. And that keys in a lot into kind of like, you know, there's a book that's a big part of the research of this called uh, Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome, right? And talking about the rage that kind of it's kind of prevalent in sort of black males or or, black, or us as a culture, you know. I'm obviously I'm 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 trying not to generalize here, but I'm just sort of basing it on my experience and, and my family and my and my and my and my people that I know. And and you know this rage that we feel, you know, I don't not talk about going out there and sort of you know smashing people's heads, and I'm just talking about that inside we're angry, right? You know, we're angry. We're sort of like you know whatever for whatever reason it is. And and I really wanted to sort of uh, articulate that and this idea that in a strange way that anger has kept us alive, or that anger actually is our sort of defense mechanism, you know. And 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 he and he realizes that at the beginning he's a guy that's like saying to his son. Don't, you know, don't let them see you fighting, kid, because that's what they expect from us, right? You know what I mean? Which is kind of what we think. And at the end, you know, he has to embrace that rage if he's going to get out of it, you know? And so, you know, it's it's a really, you know, one of the things that I'm I'm terrified about with this film, because we live in a world like this now, uh, of where people don't want to think anymore. You know, they want to be spoon-fed, you know? And I think we're a blame, we're the blame for that. I think the film is just blamed for that by sort of like, think by, by sort of assuming that people are stupid and dumbing everything down. And what, what, I, what I'm so nervous about this film is that people are going to dismiss it as this kind of like, you know, schlocky kind of like horror film without sort of realizing that, you know, you know, we've tried to construct it with all of this kind of like thematic kind of like, you, you know, um, pulp beneath it. You know what I mean? Sure. That, that I don't expect people to go, oh, it's about this and, and I can give them a, you know, an examination on it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that it is more than just a guy you know, in a bed and an old woman, right? It's it's, it's so much more than that. Um, um, if you want to, if you want to look at it, and if you want to see it that way, you know, from even the theme tune at the end, you know, it's like the colours. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, I could give you a fucking lecture on the colours. I give you a lecture on where I put the windows in that room. You know, you know, I give you a lecture on all the things in that room. You know what I mean? Um, you know, we've spent so long thinking about it and, and trying to and trying to make sure that everything in the frame supported the narrative and everything supported the theme, you know? Um, you know, um, and, you know, at the same time, saying all of that, it's very important that people are entertained by it, right? You know, or else I, I'm, I'm not doing my job. So, so, so anyway, that's that's pretty much what I've been trying to do. No, that's why I love horror movies. You can build any kind of metaphor you want as long as the, you know, the structure supports it. You can get away with almost anything. Yeah. The real trick with this was making sure that the audience understood the rules, you know, mm. um, you know, whatever, you know, and there's, there's a very simple line in there, whatever happens to Boogity happens to you. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of, you know, because uh, you know, in a strange way, it, it's, it's actually a genre that hasn't really been done before, really. Do you know what I mean? Really, when you really think about it, I think you've had the skeleton key, which wasn't very good, mm. but you haven't really had, you know, haven't really had films on hoodoo. You've had voodoo films, right? but this is different. Um, and you've never really had hoodoo films like this before. Yeah, and so, they always depend on white outsiders too, which this film right, does not do. Right, right. And the so, serpent in the rainbow, that kind of thing, where, right, where right, investigating exactly, yeah, the right. mythology shows you what's really going on. Right, right. And so, so it was, you know, and we gave nods to Angel Heart, and in the film, you know, you know the, you know the the the, the gas station is named after um, named after the bookshop in, in Angel Heart, and we gave I gave those nods, and you know, and. The office that he works in as a lawyer is, you know, is called Sheldon and Woods. So I gave a nod to, to Paul Sheldon from Misery. So I did all of that in the film because the, these are films that obviously I took nods from. But but um, but yeah, you know, it was it was you know 
you know, you know, getting those rules of engagement out to the audience, you know, and, and making sure they understood that and then making sure that, you know, at the same time as that, you know, we're dealing with a character that's kind of been abused by his father and he's coming home and it's the one place he doesn't want to be because all he's done his whole life is run and getting that in there and then getting, getting this whole turn that he starts to, he has to start to believe for this to work and that working the increments on that and when that when that actually moment happens you know what I mean and so when he suddenly realizes it's the only way you know sometimes to defeat the monster you have to become the monster you know it was really really difficult in 90 minutes <laughs> really, <laughs> difficult. really difficult but I had but I had I truly had I truly had a paramount in um in my boss a guy called Wick Godfrey and my net my other boss uh, a woman called Ashley Brooks probably you know in my mind just just Brilliant, 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 um, brilliant, brilliant enablers, you know? I mean, they literally said to me, what's the film that you want to make? What do you want to say? And they just said, that's what, that's what you need to always remember. And that's literally what we, what we did. I mean, you know, some of that footage we shot, you know, on iPhones and stuff, you know, because I really wanted to just plug in all these things, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that as a, as a, as a, I'm never happy if I'm honest with you, but I'm as close, I'm as close, I'm as close to kind of like satisfied as I can be because a lot of the film looks like how I imagined it. You know? Yeah. I'm really glad. I think it's, it's definitely, um, what was I going to, I was bespoke. There's a, there's a texture to it that I really responded to. It just feels, it's a world I've never seen and it feels authentic. I believe that it's like, that that's what it would look like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there there are no John Deere riding mowers in it, but other than yeah. that, I think you could make the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's you know I've done a lot of TV for for a number of years, and and you know to do a film again, the last one was ten years ago, you mm-hmm. know, um, and uh, I did I made it on film. I made it on thirty five, so I actually made a film before film died. So I was happy about that, but but uh, you know ten years between films, you know. Um, and so there was a lot that I knew that I wanted to do, you know, you know what I mean? And, you know, I, you know, I went in and pitched the pitch of the film. I sort of cut together a whole lot of contemporary horror films. And I sort of said, look, you know, if I'm honest with you, you, you could, one person could have directed all of those, right? They're all lit the same, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and lighting is a big, big thing for me. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, we live in this world, you know, hard lighting, you know, I know, I know I did Gotham and that's how we lit, you know? Yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know how people light. And I wanted to do something a bit more subtle that used that used um, practicals and 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 used natural light a bit a bit more. So 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 it was more about sort of lighting the space than it is about lighting the actor. Um, and I knew that I wanted to 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 use flares a lot more because I just, I just like them. And I call it I call it life through dirty windows. That's what I call style that I've been trying to <laughs> trying to find for the last seventeen years of my life. And so we we ma- we managed to, we managed to do it. And um, we, and I managed to find these little pockets where we did it, like the where she's making the boogity and hanging the clothesline up, you know. Mm-hmm. I shot, I shot, I shot pretty much all of that, um, apart from the crane stuff, obviously. And, and I'm really happy with it because, you know, um, it was all about using the focal point, you know, where the eye goes, you know, for for the viewer and and where I want the eye to be, you know. So, so there's a lot of things like technically that I'm really happy about about the film and and, and how it worked and, and the hybrid camera work that I used, you know, where I, in one scene I might use a crane and I use handheld and I use a dolly and then I'd use, you know, a macro, you know. Um, and that's really me, which is, you know, and, and I am hip hop, you know, and so that's kind of where it all comes from, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's for me is what, what I think of, of of the straight story, you know, I know you said earlier on, it's a very, very white film, 
and and it, it is it is a very very white film, but in its own way, it, it is it is a bit like hip hop. It's sort of it's a magpie, right? It sort of like takes all these different things, right? It takes all these different camera styles, and and all these different sort of like ideas and things that shouldn't work, and then puts them into this film, and it sort of works, right? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it really is. It really is. And for me, filmmaking is literally just like hip hop. It, you know, it's like. So you take a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that, and you take a little bit of this. And writing a script is like that, you know, for me anyway. You know, it's it's all about breaking the fourth wall, using smell, using font. Oh, you know what I do? I use reported speech here. Oh, you know what I do? I put picture here. It's, you know, all you're doing is trying to get someone to buy your script, you know? Right. And for me, for me, it's the same thing with a film. For me, films are all about, you know, about going, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't adhere anymore to any of these fucking rules where they go, well, you know, um, uh, you know, um, Whatever it is, all these old. I just, I just go. No, I'm going to do what I think's right for that moment in the film, and I don't give a shit if it breaks the rules. If, if it feels right, then I'm going to do it. Right? You know what I mean? And so, you know, like, you know, like, a, you know, if it's a top angle, for instance, they go, "Well, the character should feel, feel defenseless." I sort of go, "Why? Why is that? You know, who said that? You know, who said that? That's your. Is that your impression? Actually, when the camera's low, I think sometimes characters look weak. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. you know who's right, who's wrong, right? You know, yeah, what I mean? it's like, you know, feels what feel works in the moment. Yeah. Right. My thanks to Mark Tonderai, whose new film Spell is available on demand from Paramount Pictures this Friday, October 30th. Thanks also to Anna Bustamante. She knows what she did. Mark's not on Twitter, but you can find The Straight Story on DVD from Walt Disney Pictures. Really. And hopefully it'll turn up in the Criterion Collection one of these days, or at least on Disney+. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts as well as writing about film and television. You can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. They're good. Stay inside. Watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.